Hi, I'm Mark Roderman. Coming up, Washington takes on Big Pharma. The North Carolina Senate passes a $1,500 signing bonus to get people back to work. And the White House wants to spend big to defend against cyber attacks. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the lightning round provided by... NC Realtors, State Employees Association of North Carolina, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. It's Front Row with host Mark Rotterman. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation. Political analyst Joe Stewart, Democratic State Senator Sidney Batch, and Nelson Dower, Senior Advisor to North Carolina Speaker of the House. Mitch, Speaker Pelosi is working on a plan to lower the cost of prescription drugs. Talk to us about it. Yeah, this is a plan from congressional Democrats. It would empower Medicare to negotiate prices of drugs uh, paid for in the U.S. down to levels that are paid for in other countries. And President Biden supports this plan. He'd like to see the bill on his desk by the end of the year. It would have excise taxes that would be levied against the drug makers who refuse to cooperate. Now, supporters say this could lead to a, a, an average price reduction of 55% in the U.S., but the Congressional Budget Office, which came out with that projection, also says that it would mean fewer new drugs on the market, as many as eight fewer in 10 years and 30 fewer over the next 20 years. Meanwhile, the drug makers are raising complaints about it. They're calling it extortion, and they're warning of much larger costs if this goes forward. We're also seeing the conservative group, the American Action Network, come out with an ad buy, $4 million so far that they're paying for to run ads on about 40 uh, Democrats in very uh, highly competitive in districts in their districts, saying that this is Nancy Pelosi's socialist health care plan. So it's certainly going to be an interesting debate. Sydney, the high cost of uh, prescription drugs really impacts people on fixed incomes, doesn't it? Absolutely. And as we see an aging boomer, uh, the baby boomer is actually increasing in, in age and population. They are actually going to have a disproportionate cost that they're going to have to, of course, um, unfortunately, have to deal with $2,000, $3,000 out of pocket. And they're not going to have, with fixed incomes, the ability to pay for it. And so we really have to come up with a creative way to solve this. It may not be the plan that, the, that Nancy Pelosi is pushing, but I also find it disingenuous that some of the companies state that they don't think that they can afford it when they were perfectly fine taking federal money when it came to the COVID uh, vaccine, including Moderna taking up to $3 billion almost to try now, to so solve that. What impact would this have on somebody like GlaxoSmithKline? would have a tremendous like impact. Uh, the bill would um, cost high-paying jobs as well as investment right here in North Carolina. North Carolina is a leader in biotech and drug manufacturing, and it's remarkably short-sighted. I'll give you an example. So consumer costs would be tied to 120% of cost in Canada, France, Germany, Japan, and the UK, but only one of those five countries actually came up with a vaccine for COVID. So the U.S. has developed, manufactured, and distributed three vaccines. We are ahead of those countries in vaccinations and saving lives. So the U.S. gets the life-saving drugs first, 
because of our pharma system in North Carolina and in the United States as a whole, we're way ahead of those countries. And if you look at the aging population of the world, what we need to be doing is instead of attacking pharma, we need to be fully engaging them in the fight to find the treatments and the cures for Alzheimer's and dementia. Joe, is this going to be a political football in the midterms? I think so. The Democrats have successfully talked about health care issues in the last few election cycles, and this certainly falls in to that category of things that Democratic candidates are going to want to talk about. It's a big challenge because pharmaceutical companies need the kind of profits that they can get so they can invest money back into research and development, getting the products to market through the FDA approval process. It's a tricky part of the free market economy in the terms of health care, but I think Democrats see this as a winning issue, particularly among seniors. Mitch, wrap this up in about 30 seconds, my friend. Well, this is an issue that scares people, the high prices of drugs. I mean, if you have to get on one of these major drugs, you may be spending a lot of money, or at least your insurance plan is, and people worry about this. And so I think this is going to be a salient political issue, but the long-term implications of taxing Big Pharma more could be really devastating for that piece of our economy. We'll continue to follow this story. Fill us in, Sydney, on the General Assembly's week. It's pretty interesting, a little fireworks. Yeah, a little, a little fireworks, especially yesterday. Uh, so we started the week off in a bipartisan fashion. Uh, we went ahead and we passed the bill for $1,500 that you spoke of earlier, which is actually a $1,500 bonus for people who are on un unemployment, so long as they get a job and keep it for several months afterward. Um, that had a lot of bipartisan, uh, bipartisan uh, support. There's also going to be an issue with regards to whether or not the Department of Labor is actually going to approve that plan because they're using the federal dollars that are coming down for us to supplement our unemployment to be able to do that. So if it passed through the House, we'll be able to, of course, use that. It'll encourage people to get back to work. Small businesses in particular are really suffering regarding not having employees to actually help reopen the economy and with their businesses. I also think it's really important to note that it actually ends in September. So it's a short-term and creative fix to a long-term problem that we need to address in our state. And then uh, at the end of the week yesterday, we ended it with regards to the Secretary or Acting Secretary Delgatti's confirmation hearing in the Senate uh, that actually was a party-line vote. The Republicans chose not to confirm her. Uh, and at this point, they said that they, she was not qualified despite experts in the, in, in the energy industry and the environmental industry stating that they thought that she was qualified. Mitch, is the honeymoon over between Senator Berger and Governor Cooper? Yeah, if they ever had one, I think it probably <laughs> is over at this point. There had been some talk earlier in the session about a lot of cooperation, but we've seen uh, a number of signs that things are, are not as rosy as, as expected. It was very interesting on that vote that this is a process that only started since Governor Cooper came into office. Right after his election, one of the things the General Assembly did was to change the law so that there would be confirmation hearings for cabinet-level secretaries. But this was the first time anyone had been rejected. Fifteen or more secretaries, even ones with whom uh, Phil Berger and his colleagues disagreed on policy, they let them go through. This is a case where they said, you know, on this particular issue, not knowing about pipelines, we're going to put our foot, feet down. What was the House doing this week? Bill well, this week the House was passing the Get North Carolina Back to Work Act, so a similar vein. Uh, that bill does four things. It um, makes unemployment benefits non-taxable, so that helps workers. It would withdraw the state from the enhanced federal unemployment benefits. It would also direct $250 million to uh, of uh, uh, federal funds toward child care to help people uh, be able to, to uh, come back into the workforce and would also forgive those 
small business uh, federal PPP loans in terms of the, the, the state tax burden on those. So altogether, a $1.1 billion tax relief and assistance to help small businesses, to help working people, and to get folks back in the workforce. You know, we are actually short right now in, in North Carolina's workforce year over year, 92,000 uh, folks. So we need to get those, we have the job openings, we need to get them back to work. Joe, should we be paying people to go back to work? It's an unfortunate precedent. It's probably necessary in the short term, given the dynamic. I, I think it's some combination of factors. It's not just that people are unwilling to return to work. There's a little inhibition people have about returning because of COVID, even though we feel like we're on the other side of the pandemic. I think some people are still a little apprehensive about getting back into a workplace where they may be interacting with other people. Um, it, it is a little... Uh, daunting to think that the workforce challenges that we face can be uh, overcome by stimulating people's interest in working. W w one would hope because jobs are available, people would desire the, the job and to get off of the assistance. But well, what we'll I noticed was uh, Senator Tillis and Senator uh, Burr want us to cut off the extra benefits, correct? Yeah, no, I think this is part of a, of a bigger comprehensive strategy. I think Senator Lindsey Graham made the observation. What about half the states have done that, right? Well, yeah, and North Carolina would be one of several that have already gone about the business of trying to end this problem by ending that bonus. And as okay. the senator noted, the, the benefits go away in September anyway, so basically it's whether you cut them off early or not. Okay, I want to move on. Another cyber attack this week on a major food uh, entity for America. Well, that's right, Mark. And so the Biden administration also announced in their budget that they're proposing $9.8 billion for civilian cybersecurity. That's about a 14% increase. $750 million of that would be focused on the quote-unquote lessons learned from the uh, Russian solar winds hack that we had last, uh, last year that affected uh, thousands of individuals and about nine or so federal agencies. This new funding would follow about 80 recommendations that came out of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission. That was a bipartisan report that was issued back in March. Uh, but uh, Biden's budget plays defense, and that's important, but I think Congress wants to get on the offense. They're likely to increase above the president's request in the areas of homeland security, obviously in the Department of Defense, where you don't really know what the full budget is on cyber, uh, as well as I think they're going to address regulatory issues around uh, uh, cryptocurrency, which is uh, the way that these uh, ransom attacks are, are paid off. Um, I know Senator King, who was the co-chairman of that commission, said that uh, we need to make our adversaries think twice before they decide to attack us. Um, FBI uh, Commissioner Ray has talked about this in terms of a 9-11 uh, style threat to the United States. So it's really going to be a foreign policy issue. And frankly, we have to engage Russia with more than words going down the road. You know, Mitch, that's interesting because there's a, uh, a summit happening between Putin and Biden coming up here in mid-June. Is, is Putin testing Biden, you think? Oh, I'm sure he is. Uh, he certainly ha has his way in any way he wants with the particular president, whoever it has been. He, he tries to be a disruptor in many ways in Europe, in the United States, in Asia. But this that, can't happen without Putin's sign-off, really, can it? I mean, he's got to know about this, right? He knows about it. I don't know if he signs off on anything, but anything that that Blind hurts, that hurts his that hurts his a a adversaries is good for him. So if it's just Russian hackers operating on their own, that's good for him. If they're operating under his authority, that's good for him. But certainly, Joe Biden's going to need to show 
Vladimir Putin that he means business. Should he sk skip the summit, you think? No, I think it's important for President Biden to engage on this. Whether or not Putin is directly involved in the decision as to whether hacks are made, this is the new threat that we all face. And it's infrastructure issues. This is not attacking people from electronic means so that we um, are injuring them. It's shutting down key parts of our infrastructure so that we're crippled economically. The Colonial Pipeline is a great example where a cyber attack made it very difficult for people to get fuel for their vehicles. And, and uh, I think Putin recognizes he benefits economically if the United States struggles, and that's where the attacks will come in the future to things that are key to our economic infrastructure. Banking industry, and by the way, I think, Sydney, they're hitting us where we live in our pocketbooks with energy and food. Absolutely, and if you saw to that point, with it, people couldn't find gas. I mean, my kids didn't go to school because they didn't have enough gas when the Colonial Pipeline shut down. And so we're looking at a time where we can't afford not to act and try and figure out how you bring all the players together and at least putting them on notice that we're going to do something because they're going to become more, they're going to be more robust and they're going to be a heck of a lot more complicated for us to handle and to address um, because they're very savvy. And if we continue to wait and continue to push the ball down uh, the field, we're never going to actually make progress. We need to go on offense, Nelson? We absolutely need to go on the offense. And I think that a lot of people don't want to contemplate this, but we're probably going to have to use hard power with Russia. I mean, this, this may take actual physical action. Is this a new action. It could be a new Cold War, but it could be a hot Cold War or limited action. We know where the servers are. Uh, somebody's going to need to do something about that. Mitch, wrap it up in about 30 seconds. Well, the interesting thing to me is all of this is happening as China is also an adversary. Back in the old Cold War, it was basically the U.S., the Soviet Union, and their allies, but you basically had the two poles. China's sitting off on the corner watching all of this happening and hoping that it helps its cause, too, because China is our other adversary. This is something we also have to deal with. Okay, you know, I want to go to President Trump. Former President Trump, he's back in North Carolina this weekend, Joe. What should we be looking for? Well, very interesting. Former President Trump speaking to the Republican convention down in Greenville, North Carolina. First time he's spoken publicly since February when he addressed an audience of the Conservative Political Action Committee. Two things that I'm really interested in. One, a lot of speculation about what former President Trump's ambitions might be with regard to running for president again in 2024. Will he come into the convention as the music man? Certainly he'll be tooting his own horn. But the question is, does he have the ombature to play a a tune that's resonant to the base ear of Republican voters. Using those big words again. Well, it's, <laughs> I'm not going to waste all of that time I spent studying for SAT. <laughs> But the second thing is Laura Trump. There's been some speculation she might be a candidate for the U.S. Senate in 2022. The key will be, is she in attendance with him? Does he reference the fact she's not formally said whether she's running or not? It's just been speculated at this point. But if she is running, this would be a great form forum for the president to say she's running. The other three uh, primary candidates, uh, Ted Budd, the current congressman, Mark Walker, former congressman, former governor, Pat McCrory, in all likelihood will be present too. We'll, we'll see how this plays out. But I think a lot of people will be in attention to what President Trump says. Mitch, is the GOP rolling the dice getting the president, former president involved in the midterms? To some extent, yes, but the, the former president is hugely popular among Republicans, and so uh, even though they're rolling the dice, it might be loaded a little bit in the GOP's favor in this, in this sense. I think the people who are 
at most risk at this point are those who have been within the Republican Party, but especially critical of Donald Trump. I think they figured that once Donald Trump was gone from the scene, they'd be able to step back in and play as large a role as they did in the past. But that doesn't look likely as long as the president continues to play a, a major role. Well, Sidney, how do you think he'll play in the general election in the suburbs? Yeah, no, that's a really great question because one of we saw in 2016 and 2020 that obviously there was a, a, a select group of Republicans who were Trump voters who came out who didn't vote previously were not consistent that they came out for him. So it'll be really interesting in this next election, 2022 and 2024, if they continue to come out and still vote for Republicans if his name's not on the ballot, or to your point, if Laura Trump's name is That's on the ballot. That's a great point because he did bring people out that hadn't come out before, right, Nelson? He did, and he's really transformed the Republican Party into a working class party that uh, adheres to traditional values. And he also made a very strong appeal and grew the Republican Party with Latino and Hispanic voters as well based on those traditional values. So President Trump is certainly still the disruptor in chief. Uh, he is still a focal point of um, rallying point for both parties. But I do think at some point in time down the road that that sort of newly reconstituted Republican Party that is sort of more of a working class party as well as you know, bringing back some suburban voters will begin to transition to figures like Governor DeSantis in Florida. Does he freeze the field until he makes a decision? Oh, absolutely freezes the field. Let me ask you, Joe, I mean, if he reruns the 2020 election and he's down there complaining about it, the race was stolen from him, how's that help? Well, I think that's red meat to the Republican base. I don't know how well that conveys into a campaign issue, but it's something that makes the president, uh, former president relevant because he can continually refer to the fact that it wasn't that he lost the election, that it was stolen from him. Uh, I but think is that, that's about the past, but it's not about the future, is it, Mitch? Well, it definitely isn't about the future. And so he definitely, if he wants to run again, he's going to have to come up with another message other than the election was stolen from me. But I think it'll be interesting to see in this speech, what is that message? How much of it is, let's, let's get back on the track of making America great again. I think it's interesting that he came to North Carolina to do his first rollout. Don't you, Sydney? Yeah, no, I think that it says a lot about whether or not Laura Trump will actually be a contender for the U.S. Senate race. And that's always been a rumor that's been happening, and it may actually it coalesce around him actually coming here and deciding whether or not he can what have a gravitas. What we choose to do is tease that. Right. That's true. <laughs> that's <laughs> my bit. Okay, yeah. let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. It, it's certainly not underreported that President Biden is pursuing this $2.3 trillion infrastructure plan. We've heard a lot about it, but one piece that we've heard less about, and that is within this legislation, very long legislation, like much of what we see from Washington, D.C., is a push for local governments to allow apartment buildings in what have traditionally been residential areas. It's uh, this talk of inclusionary versus exclusionary zoning. There would be some grants and tax credits built into this, sort of the carrot and stick to try to get local governments to go along with this. It's touted as a way to boost affordable housing in some areas and to fight the racial injustice in housing patterns. But critics are saying that this would torpedo the American dream because it would stop local governments from being able to say, where housing could be, where other uh, types of zoning could take place. And so one Texas Republican uh, representative, Beth Van Dyne, had called it a plan to destroy suburban neighborhoods. So certainly it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Can that be done by a rule or does it need to dump, be done by legislation? Can HUD do that? They might try to do something as part of a rule, but this is actually part of the legislation that Biden once passed. Joe, underreported. 
Yeah, state legislation, uh, actually bipartisan support, Representative John Bell in the House pushing for some funding for uh, mitigation of certain uh, storm uh, adverse areas in the state to help make sure that the next time we have a hurricane and it's inevitable, areas that are prone to flooding, uh, to try to build in new systems to avoid the loss of uh, property and, and the potential loss of life. It's very forward thinking. In fact, that the hurricane season just started the 1st of June. They're predicting a busier than usual storm year again. These kind of forward thinking things are important to a state like North Carolina that's susceptible to these storms. Even as we face the peril of things like cybersecurity, Mother Nature still is a serious uh, threat to North Carolina. And are they is predicting good a strong storm uh, season this year? Above average is what they say, maybe somewhere between 15 and 20 named storms. Sydney, underreported? Uh, that lawmakers, the governor and the Department of Health and Human Services are considering a COVID-19 vaccine lottery. We've seen this happen in Ohio to try and encourage individuals. There are ideas out there about uh, if you're 18 and younger, being able to give full scholarships to those uh, kids to state schools to a, cer a certain number, and then also using some type of ARP funding or, or something else with regards to a million dollars for a certain amount. And so that's one of the things that will be discussed um, and tried to work through. And so they're trying to reach herd immunity and encourage people to get vaccinated. Now, why China's three-child policy won't matter. They, they have uh, originally had a China one-child policy where married couples were only allowed to have one child. Just a few years ago, they changed that to a two-child policy. And what has happened is they have lost an entire generation of young consumers. And even their two-child policy did not increase uh, birth rates over the last five, six years. In fact, they've gone in the other direction. They've actually crashed. So you have a demographic implosion essentially in China and they were already the world's fastest aging population. So if the recently released data is accurate, then half of the Chinese population will essentially be retirees by 2045. Uh, Japan is the only major country so far to make the transition to a post-consumer growth economy. They got rich. Uh, long before they got old, China will get old long before they ever have an opportunity to get rich. Europe is behind the curve on that too, right? They are. You have populations in Germany uh, that, that, have, that are aging. Uh, Russia will be a majority actual Muslim population uh, by 2050. France is probably one of the few countries uh, in Europe that does have a strong younger millennial um, generation consumer base there, similar to the United States. Okay, let's go to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? My who's up is Dr. Jay Singleton, who is a newborn eye surgeon, and he is challenging North Carolina's certificate of need law because of its restrictions on him. You might think he's down because a judge dismissed his case this week, but the good news is that happened very quickly. It was always going to go to an appeal, so he's going to be able to raise this issue going forward. My who's down, Vice President Kamala Harris. President Biden earlier had made her the face of the border issue, which has been something that's been a negative for the Biden administration. Now, President Biden wants her to head up the uh, election reform bill that's had so many problems. So basically, President Biden is saying, Vice President, you take all of this on. Joe, who's up who's down this week? Who's up? The Federal Elections Commission announced the total for spending in federal elections in 2020, $14 billion, up from a little over a billion and a half dollars just in 1998. So two decades, we've seen that dramatic increase. Uh, interestingly enough, one of the things that this revealed, over 9 million television ads ran for all the federal races in America 
and increasingly the portion of funds that are spent on yeah. digital and social media is going up, not conventional television. Who's down? President Trump's blog shut down after just 29 days. I saw one pundit said that's three Scaramucci's. So, <laughs> but it, undoubtedly the president who's still off of Facebook and Twitter will be back in social media somehow. Sydney, who's up and who's down this week? What is, who's up is the attendance at the Indy 500. It was actually the 135,000 people attended that event, the highest number uh, since the pandemic began. And who is down is Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu after a very tenuous deal was reached by his rivals to replace him. He is the longest serving uh, Prime Minister in Israel's time though, isn't he? Yeah. Okay, who's up and who's down this week? Who's up? Oil prices topping $70 a barrel for the first time since uh, 2019. That's both confidence in the recovery and a major boost for U.S. shale producers. However, the International Energy Agency's roadmap to uh, net zero carbon emissions by 2050 could drive those prices to over $200 a barrel. Who's down? Facebook having to admit that their content monitors were wrong in banning articles citing the Wuhan lab as a possible source of the virus. And the EU and the UK announced this week antitrust actions against Facebook, and Congress is not finished with them yet either. Will gas prices be an issue in 2022? I believe they will be an issue in 2022. They're talking about raising uh, carbon taxes here in the United States. Uh, if they continue to shut down pipelines and disrupt uh, distribution, and I'm talking about the government doing it, not the cyber attacks, uh, you could see prices uh, go up considerably for gasoline. Mitch, headline next week. House proceeds with full budget plan, but Senate turns to mini budgets. Okay, headline next week, Joe. Trump says X at GOP convention to the delight of Republicans and dismay of Democrats. You think it'll get national headlines? Absolutely. Okay. Headline next week, Sydney. Very similar to Mitch, which is the House and the Senate move forward with their own budgets, given the fact that they cannot reach a spending and consensus on a spending cap. When do you think we'll see a, 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 a budget? That's a great question. Nelson, when are we going to see a budget? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll have a budget. It's a long time. <laughs> Headline Might next week. Continuing. Tempers flare in Washington. Okay, why is that? <laughs> well, because I'm not going to say North Carolina. <laughs> Great job, panel. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by... NC Realtors. State Employees Association of North Carolina. Mary Louise and John Burris. Reifenberg Construction. Stefan Gleason. And Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.